You read and hear about it all the time and see it on TV, maybe in the movies too. You may experience it yourself when the heat hits unexpectedly or the rains drench suddenly, when the flowers bloom early or the snow comes late. It seems it's all about climate change these days and what we're doing about it, EVs and charging stations, solar panels and wind farms, tree planting and composting. But what's new? And with all the bad news, how do we hang on to hope? Are the media with all this climate coverage actually making us feel worse? Hello, I'm Frank Sesno, and welcome to Peril and Promise, a public media initiative from the WNET Group reporting on the human stories of climate change and its solutions. Learn more at pbs.org slash perilandpromise. Major funding for Peril and Promise is provided by Dr. P. Roy Vagelos and Diana T. Vagelos with additional funding from Sue and Edgar Watkinheim III and the estate of Worthington Mayo Smith. Sadie Babbitts knows the climate change story better than just about anyone. She's an environmental journalist and storyteller, the supervising climate editor at NPR, and the former president of the Society of Environmental Journalists. And she's writing a book with a suitable title, Hot Takes, Stories We Tell About a Warming World. Hi, Sadie. Hi, Frank. It's good to be here. Well, it's great to have you. Sadie, let's start off with the headlines in climate news, if we can. What's new? What's actually new? I think the newness of climate change really comes in the science and how climate scientists are are all in agreement that climate change is here. And chances are, if you're listening to us now, you have experienced some element of human-caused climate change. And the science is really clear. As our temperatures warm across the globe, we are going to see and are already seeing more frequent and intense extreme weather events. So hurricanes, um, massive winter storms that we saw in California, uh, heat domes that form over the Pacific Northwest, all of that is going to become more frequent and more intense. This also means that uh, droughts will become longer and more intense. And that's something, you know, I hear it in the West, in Arizona, and that's something that we grapple with on a daily basis. And that has implications of, is there going to be enough water for millions of people, especially when we look at the, the Colorado River and its dwindling water supplies? Are we going to have enough water to generate hydropower? There are all of these questions that come from very clear science that the fingerprints of climate change are here. And I think it's not so much the, the shocking value of these storms, because the, the, the abnormal is the new normal, uh, to coin uh, something I heard from a climate communicator, Susan and hassle. So what's interesting is not only is there a lot of news in climate change itself, but there's also a lot of news in what's being done about it. And sometimes that gets lost in the headlines. I mean, everything from the EPA proposing specific new limits on climate pollution from power plants to this big power company, Next Era Energy, talking about a $20 billion investment in green hydrogen. That would be a game changer probably down the road, but it's huge. More immediately, EV sales. I saw a report that said they were up 55% last year, more than 10 million EV electric vehicles um, sold globally. And that exceeds all the cars sold in the European Union. So that's kind of really happening fast. So is there a lot that's new in the response side of this story too? 
I think that's a great way of framing that, Frank. There is a huge response happening across the country and in, in many countries. And, and in some ways, it feels very new here in the U.S. I think European countries are, are a little bit ahead <laughs> of the U.S. when it comes to EV adoption, for example. But it's it's exciting because we are seeing EV adoption at a really at a growing rate. I think the question is, can we make changes fast enough to lower emissions in a way that will help keep warming temperatures at at a minimum and not exceed you know over one point five degrees Celsius or two degrees Celsius, which is sort of like the way you know where scientists are saying we need to target our our warming. But when we think about all that's going on and new and bad on the climate situation, you know, on climate crisis on one side of the equation, what's happening on the other side in response to it, it still seems a pretty lopsided equation, a lopsided story. Are the media getting this right? I mean, you you report for a living. You help shape NPR's coverage. The story seems to be pretty bleak in terms of what most people are consuming. And isn't that a problem, too? That is a huge problem, Frank, because if if the headlines are all doom and gloom and, and apocalyptic, we do know that news avoidance is really high. And think about all of the news that we've been hit with over the years. I mean, the COVID-19 pandemic, climate change, we've gone through elections. Oh, it's relentless, completely relentless. The news cycle is so vicious and it doesn't stop. And I think a lot of people see these headlines. They're like, nope, I, I'm not going to read that today. I'm, I'm not going to listen to that today. And this is the challenge with climate stories, because a, a lot of the headlines that I read are framed in a way that you think that there's nothing that we can do about uh, about climate change. And I, I don't want to come off as, as as sort of sounding advocacy here, but there is a lot that we can do. And as reporters, we need to accurately reflect the world that we're covering. And, and part of that world is focusing on the responses that are coming because of of climate change. And, and there's a lot of really good stuff happening. So how are you shaping the coverage and trying to bring this realization into the coverage at NPR when you're covering climate? That's a great question. And I, I will give you just a little bit of a backstory. So NPR formed a climate desk in November of 2022. And I am one of uh, three other editors on the desk. And we all work together to shape the, the coverage that's coming uh, on NPR Digital, as well as what you hear on shows like Morning Edition and All Things Considered. And we have a team of 10 uh, reporters and editors. And we we have a reporter who is focused on responses and solutions and new ideas that are coming up in the in the climate science space. And so one of the things that we have realized is that our audience is really hungry for I call it news you can use. You know, how do I access incentives for uh, putting a heat pump in my house? Or how do I get an incentive for an electric vehicle? What does this whole debate over gas stoves and homes mean? And so we're doing some of our coverage focused on, you know, how, how can we respond to this? Like, how can you as, as a consumer, like plug into this and find what you need? The other piece of this is we have a huge accountability side to our reporting on the desk. And so 
you know, for years and years and years, Frank, we saw this this buildup of longstanding climate denial around the science. And the science is clear. Climate change is, is here. It's happening. Uh, what we're seeing is a huge shift in climate denial. So misinformation, a lot of disinformation unfolding over responses and solutions to climate change. And so the fight has, has the political fight has shifted. And so we have a big part of the work on our desk focused on the accountability side. And we also have a, a focus on, on biodiversity. We have a new health reporter who's going to be joining our team. And we'll just, we'll keep expanding because obviously climate is in everything, every aspect of our lives. And, and from a newsroom perspective, I think it's really important to, to recognize that climate change is a sports story. It's a politics story. It's a business story. It is a story in itself and it, it needs to cross a, across the whole entire newsroom uh, to really gain traction. Which is both good and, and challenging, right? Because yeah. it means that climate connects to so many things, but it also means if you connect climate to things, does the audience say, okay, I'm, I'm climated out, right? I, I can't. So how do you keep it interesting? How do you keep it new and different? The challenge is exactly that, keeping it new and different. And part of it comes in how we think about framing stories. And you know, we are really good as journalists. Uh, we're trained to focus on finding the conflict, finding the problem, doing the investigation, revealing a truth that can come from an investigation. This is this is part of our DNA. We are questioners, and that's a really beautiful thing, and we need that in our world. And journalism, that tenet of journalism, stands strong. But I think there's a, a shift happening in journalism around climate change stories because that really is a focus on the negative. And in order for, for people to, I think, have agency on, on, a, on a global problem, they also need to understand what they can do. And I just did a side here, Frank, I mean, it's yes, people can do things about climate change, but there's also, you know, big policy shifts too. Uh, we have the tools to address climate change. And so I think part of that is bringing that reality into the stories that we tell about our warming world. And in terms of how we frame our stories, it is a shift of, yes, you know, here's here's the challenge with climate change and then pivoting to, you know, how is a community responding to, let's say, rising sea levels? What's being done in that community? And you might find that that's a very positive story. You might also find that that's a very fraught story, too, because people are, you know, people are trying to figure out solutions here. Um, I think the the responses and the solutions pieces to climate change reporting are critical in helping people understand that they have agency uh, and that they can care about this. And it's not all doom and gloom. I think it's really important to point that out. And we're seeing some of that happen in the New York area, for example, where communities, uh, several I know in, in eastern Long Island, for example, are taking climate into consideration when they rebuild infrastructure. So are they planning for the future? Certainly the South Fork wind farm is a very good example of solutions. But I want to talk to you about the audience for a minute, because when we're framing a story, we think of our audience. There was a poll conducted in February of 2023 for heat map. It found nearly three quarters of Americans in responding to this poll said it's important for the country to deal with climate change. And interestingly, there wasn't quite as huge a divide politically as I think we've talked a lot about. They found 89% of Democrats, that's huge, 69% of independents, and 61% of Republicans agreed that there needs to be more action. 
um, you know, half of Americans said they've been personally impacted by climate change. So they're touching it in some ways. And yet another organization, the Yale Center for Climate Communication, found that two in three people, two thirds, say they rarely or never discuss climate warming or global warming with, with family and friends. So who's your audience, Sadie? And are you trying to inform them about this, persuade them about what's going on? So, Frank, I, I think those statistics really speak largely to the reality that people, by and large, understand that climate change is here and they know that that science is real. For us thinking about audience, you know, we have millions of millions of listeners and, and millions of readers on digital. And a big part of what we're trying to do is inform them about the latest science, about responses that are happening to climate change, to bring the personal stories to your airwave, right? So th there's so many compelling stories of, you know, individuals who are impacted by climate change and, and their stories reveal something bigger about our world. And we want to bring those stories to light. And the other piece of it is this accountability piece, right? You know, there is so much misinformation in large part because of, of social media. And, and we tend to, to fall into these worldviews and just hit, you know, retweet or like uh, uh, for things that like stack up with our own personal beliefs. And we could spend a lot of time playing whack-a-mole on, on that type of misinformation. And I think what's really important for us is to put information out there about climate change that is fact-based, science-based, and can help audiences understand the, the big challenge ahead. So, Sadie, climate change, as you've said, is so many things, right? It's, it affects our food, our water, our energy, biodiversity. Uh, we're dealing with it in our cities and towns and communities everywhere with the building materials we use and trying to be more energy efficient. So when you think of what you think are the most powerful, effective, interesting stories, what are your favorites? Where do you see the headlines? I'm going to point everyone to a, a big project that we recently did at NPR, and it was all focused on uh, melting glaciers, melting ice sheets. And it, it was a very science-heavy project, multimedia display. It was absolutely powerful to go through the, the multimedia side of this. But the audio was so incredible, Frank. One of the, the long pieces that we did took our audience to Nepal, where we meet a, a man who is really worried about the ice melting in a way that the lake that's just held back behind the, the town would literally like flood the town and they have warning systems in place or they had them in place and they're gone. And, and listening to the story of a family that could be impacted by melting ice and what that means. I mean, it brought tears to my eyes. And I think, one, that's the power of audio storytelling and hearing people's stories that way. But I also think those are the stories that resonate with us because they they put this very large change that's happening to all of us around the world into perspective. And, and you do that through these very deep personal stories. So I, 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 love, I love that piece uh, because I, I think it really makes that connection of how climate change is personal and it's happening everywhere. I also really appreciate the reporting uh, that I've been seeing a lot about the Colorado River and how 
you know, what this means for millions of people and how they get their water and how states can come together to find a solution, which is currently being debated. Um, and, and that's a big thing because climate change means, you know, our water supplies are affected. And the Colorado River we're seeing with, you know, some of the country's largest reservoirs dropping levels to a point where it's it's becoming a, a huge issue of people may not have water. We may not have water for crops. And so how do we how do we navigate that? And I really appreciate stories that sort of pull that thread through and, and look at that. Those stories hold hands with so many and so many of them are overwhelming. I mean, I'm thinking of the Himalayan glaciers, right? The Himalayan glaciers are melting. The Himalayan glaciers provide water to half a billion people. Yes. If they were to go away, and that's, you know, we hope many, many years from now, but it, they are diminishing. That's just an incredible problem. So, Sadie, in, in thinking about how we frame stories, how, how do you bring hope and inspire people when the backdrop of reality is so severe? It's a, it's a deep challenge. You don't want to give false hope. And I'm not a huge fan of thinking of solutions to climate change. And that sounds really harsh to say because you're like, well, solutions, like there has to be solutions. But scientifically, that's a, that's a huge challenge because we know that once emissions are drastically reduced, that we can stop causing harm to the planet and we can start undoing some of the things, but it'll take a long time. We're talking geologic time. And so when you think about solving something, the solution actually is going to evolve over a very long period of time. And I, I really like the framing of more of the responses that communities, institutions, uh, political entities, countries have to address climate change. It, it seems more right size in thinking. So whatever you call it, whether it's solutions or responses or positive uh, journalism, those stories, I think, resonate. And, and we know from our audience insights at NPR that those stories really do resonate with people. The, the read time is longer. The engagement is longer. Um, the views on, on digital pages are, are longer. The listening patterns are longer on broadcast. So that's great. How do you do those stories? I think it always comes down to people it, and, and sometimes wildlife too, because you know animals can be like such a great way into a climate change story. But it's centering around these very personal stories. And so um, I just worked on a, a story about how to capture water in California from they ha California had this incredibly banner year of extreme winter weather. So lots of rain, high snowpack in the Sierra Nevada mountains. And there's so much water, it's starting to melt with the snow and, the, you know, warming temperatures, snow is melting. So how do you capture this and, and store that water underground uh, for, for when times are dry? And so I worked with our, uh, one of our reporters, Nate Rott, on this story. And what I loved about the, the piece is that we, we talked to a wine grower in the Central Valley, and we talked to a, a, an almond grower as well, and two very different farming styles. And you could hear the challenge of, of climate change coming out in those conversations, but also a little bit of hope. And I think stories, personal stories of hope, go a long way with audiences. Well, so to that point, if somebody from the audience comes up to you, as I know they do, because they ask me this all the time and say, well, what can I do? I'm just one person. What do you tell them? That, that is such a great question, Frank. And, and usually when, when I get asked that question, 
I immediately start wanting to ask them questions about what they are doing in their lives, right? And I, I'm really struck by how people do want to make changes in their lives, or they might have questions about the science. And I, I always love those those conversations. They do have agency to make change. And I, I think a lot of little things, a lot of little actions from individuals add up to really big change. Just coming from a, a place of covering this and, and editing content about climate change for a while now, I think it's really important for when I have those conversations with people to say, you are having, you you are making a difference and to keep doing that because it's, it all starts to add up. And we reflect that also in the work that we're doing. So, you know, we did a story, sort of an explainer about heat pumps and how to, how to access heat pumps and incentives and how, how do they work and how do you get them installed in your house? And that's a, that's a small example of a story that actually has a really large impact because I think people are, are hungry for solutions what they can do in their personal lives. And this is a really great time to be looking at heat pumps. (laughs) This is why I think what we should be creating at NPR and elsewhere are climate consumer reporters, right? So you're going to buy a heat pump, or you're going to get a new stove, or you're thinking of a new car, or you're going to, you want to reduce your plastic consumption. The how-to of this, how to be an informed, climate-aware, but not preoccupied, desperate uh, news consumer and, 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 and consumer-consumer, right? Isn't that the kind of thing we could be doing more of? Absolutely. Those are the stories that we need. And it's, it's not enough for a, a story on climate change to just say, here's, here's the problem. So a, a recent headline that I, I read was looking at how the world is on track to exceed 1.5 degrees Celsius of warming. We've known this for a while from the latest uh, international report from the IPCC. And the story had an alarmist headline, here's the problem. And that was it. Uh, there was no like next step for somebody reading that to story to say, well, what can I do about this? How can I get involved? And I think in in journalism, we're we're sort of at this pivot point where it's not enough to just highlight the problem anymore. It's our responsibility to help people take the next step. You know, so how do you access incentives for heat pumps? How do you get an EV tax credit? Like, can you access those things? How's it going in your state? Those stories, as you say, as the, the sort of the consumer reporter approach on climate, like, I, I really love that framing because I think we need more of that to help people understand what they can do and also to understand where the, the pinch points are, too. Well, it's also new and it's interesting and exciting. New technologies, new approaches, new things. We like new stuff and we like <laughs> inventors. We like innovators. Sadie, before we go here, hot takes, stories we tell about a warming world, the book you're doing. Uh, what's your what's going to be your bottom line message, your big takeaway? The big takeaway with this book is, one, to inspire future storytellers who are going to be covering our warming world, to show them a path forward that you can bring responses and positive storytelling to light and how that can engage our audiences in in new ways and give people agency to to tackle a a huge challenge that our, our whole global community is facing. And if if even a handful of you know, up-and-coming young journalists grab that book and use that to start their career and help us 
understand what climate change means and the responses we can have, then I, I will say it's been a success. Sadie Babbitts, Supervising Climate Editor at NPR. Thanks for your time, your insight, and your inspiration along the way. Really appreciate it. My pleasure, Frank. Thank you. I'm Frank Sesno, and you've been listening to Peril and Promise, a public media initiative from the WNET Group, reporting on the human stories of climate change and its solutions. You can learn more at pbs.org slash perilandpromise. Major funding for Peril and Promise is provided by Dr. P. Roy Vagelos and Diana T. Vagelos, with additional funding from Sue and Edgar Watkenheim III and the estate of Worthington Mayo Smith. Thanks very much for listening. Thank you.